Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you again this week to discuss what I hope will be a topic of interest. It seems to be something that uh, everybody has interest in whenever we do one of these sessions on underwriting. And this week, we're going to talk about simple underwriting. Now, none of this is rocket science. You've, you've heard me say that probably a dozen different times. Uh, you can do a simple underwrite on your own, and you don't have to have any multifamily experience. You can grab a pad of paper and a pencil and a calculator or a spreadsheet and put a very simple underwrite together that will be a great foundation for how you start to evaluate deals. So I'd like you to join me for the balance of today to go through six inputs that are needed to build your own underwrite. As always, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. By the way, if you emailed me sometime this year, or maybe even late last year, and did not get a response, my apologies, we found a bug in our email system, email slash website system this past week that has now been corrected. So if you either emailed me or if you use the contact form inside the website, your message may have not gotten to me. If you did not get a response from me, I would, again, ask your forgiveness and please email me again. Uh, because we've got all that fixed. So pat at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Okay, simple underwriting. Now, like I said, there's no rocket science to any of this. At, at the million-foot elevation level, underwriting is pretty simple, right? It's revenue comes in, expense goes out. Uh, what's left is uh, some operating income. We may or may not have a mortgage. If we do, we pay that. We've got some cash left over. And as we grow that operating income, the property becomes more valuable. It's really that simple. Now, if we underwrote at those levels, we'd really be guessing. I mean, what's the revenue number? Well, I don't know. And I'm just putting a number in. So there needs to be some components to it. And that's what I want to go through today is a way that you can build your own underwrite. So you might be wondering, why would I, a listener to this podcast, want to do my own underwriting? Well, one, you might want to do some underwriting just to get better familiar with the multifamily space and to understand some of the machinery and some of the relationships uh, inside these transactions. You might be someone who either is already invested or going to be making an investment in a portfolio you're going to own and operate yourself, some single family rentals or duplexes or fourplexes or something like that. You may be an investor in a syndication uh, with a sponsor, with either with us, Mara Poling, or with some other sponsor, and you want to be able to better understand the financials or the underwrites that they may show you and this will help you do that. So lots of reasons to put this uh, together. And we're going to go through and build a very simple foundational underwrite. If that excites you and you find value in it, there's almost no limit to how 
detailed you could evolve that underwrite. But this will be a great place to start. I'm, we're going to do very little math. Uh, we were thinking about making this a podcast plus episode, but we didn't really want to do a lot of math in this one. We've done others about the math. This really is more about the relationships and the structure. So we're going to start with revenue, right? So we said you take all the revenue that comes in and then you pay out the expenses. Well, where's the revenue come from? Well, the first two inputs we're going to use is the average rent and the number of units that we have. So if we have a 100-unit property and we've got $900 a month in average rent, then we get $90,000 every month or $1,080,000 a year if every unit's rented, none of them are vacant, everybody pays on time, and uh, we don't have any uh, incentives or deals or concessions right? Uh, that we'll talk about in a moment. So that's kind of our top end revenue number. Now, that average rent number, I talked about how you could evolve this to make it more complex, more robust. Obviously, unless you're all 100 of your units are the same size, they're all two bedroom, one bath, 800 square foot units, you probably have different size units. Well, you're going to have different amounts of rent. And you may have classic units and improved units. So you could have a range of rents. But we're using the average rent number here. And when you look out to the future, you could think about, well, what do I think I can do in terms of moving my average rent every year? So my first element is rent. Average rent times the number of units. Now I want to look at vacancy. And so I'm going to take some of that money, some of that million eighty thousand I just said was available in rent. I'm going to take some of that away because I'm going to have vacancies. Now, vacancies include units that are actually empty. Obviously, if the unit's empty, there's nobody there to pay rent. It includes units that are occupied, that are leased, but the tenant is not paying all their rent or not paying any of the rent. So that shows up as your bad debt collections item. And then there's the incentives. So if we're trying to uh, maintain a certain level of occupancy and in this marketplace that we're in, we need to give $100 off the first month's rent, well, then that $100 gets counted in this as well. So for this example, we're going to say that that all together comes to 10%. So 10% of the million 80, I actually don't get because again, they either don't pay me or it's a discount or there's nobody to pay me because the unit's actually empty. That drops us down to 972,000. That's our big revenue number that we can get. We do have other income though. And so we, we've got a, a rent line that's comprised of units times average rent. We've got a vacancy line, and now we've got an other income line. And this is where we're going to have all the dollars that show up from application fees and late fees and um, security deposits that are um, uh, turned over to us to compensate us for uh, maybe damage or wear and tear on a unit that uh, 
that the tenant's responsible for. Uh, there could be pet fees in here. Utility reimbursements, very, very common, right? We get a bill for water for the entire property uh, for $4,000. Everybody gets their fair share of it. They turn around and pay us. This is where that revenue shows up. So I've got that line item in there. So my revenue is consistent of average rent times the number of units, some vacancy factor, and my other income. Those four items together give me my number for revenue. Okay, so now I'm not just picking it out of thin air. I've built a revenue model. Okay, now my operating expenses. So I'm going to have property taxes and I'm going to have insurance. And I've got a landscaper I've got to pay. And that utility bill I mentioned that we get reimbursed for, well, I have to pay the utility bill. So that's in here. Uh, and, and if a property is the size that I'm using in this example of 100 units, I'm going to have on-site management. And that on-site management, I've got staff. I'm going to have to pay them and benefits and all the other things that go along with all of that. So for this example, I'm just going to have one line item called operating expenses, and I'm going to put $500,000 in there. So we had our million eighty in total rent we could get. We took out vacancy that got us to $972,000. let us say there's $100,000 in other income. So I'm back to a million, million seventy-two for my revenue line, but I've got $500,000 in operating expenses now. That leaves me with a net operating income of $572,000. And if, if you have been a listener for some time, uh, thank you. Uh, if you're new to the channel, uh, welcome. Uh, but I encourage you, if you're not familiar with the conversations we've had around net operating income, go find those episodes. Uh, go look that up in the Learning Center on the, on the uh, marapolling.com website. Uh, NOI is the number. NOI drives the value of the property. NOI drives cash. If you're going to make any improvements to the return profile, it's going to be based on improvements to net operating income. So you've got those four inputs for revenue, units, average rent, vacancy percentage, other income. Then you've got an operating expense. So those five items give me net operating income. Now, I said six inputs, right? So there's one more input uh, to put in, and that is the other cash expenses you have that are not considered operating expenses. And you might be saying, well, what are you talking about? And primarily what I'm talking about is the mortgage payment, right? So we don't include mortgage payments in operating expenses because we want net operating income to be a clean number that we can use to compare properties to each other and the same property to um, look at relative to different ways we might structure the debt. So if I'm going to increase rents, it really doesn't have anything to do with what the debt I have on it. Do I have a lot of debt? Do I have no debt? Do I have uh, interest only debt? Do I have long term fixed debt? None of that really matters when I'm trying to manage NOI. So that number, that debt service is not in the operating expense. It's below net operating income. So you take net operating income and then you subtract out what you've got in the way of debt service. 
For this example, I'm going to say we pay about $245,000 a year. That's not a pure guess. I did a little bit of math on that, but we don't need to go into that. Just we're just going to use that number. Additionally, the lender says, "Hey, give us 50 grand a year. We want to hang on to so that when you have something that goes on out there, you've got money to fix the property." So, you know, you have a a roof that fails or you have an HVAC unit that needs to get replaced or whatever. Now, if you're building your own portfolio, you may not have this kind of lender relationship. You should be doing this yourself, though. You should be setting money aside every month, every year with the notion that you're going to have expenses that you don't necessarily know when they're going to happen, but you know they're going to happen. For example, if you've got a roof that's 20 years old on your property, and you know, looking at it and having had it evaluated that, gee, I'm gonna have to replace this in the next five to 10 years. It's a known quantity that you're gonna have to replace that roof. Do you have to do it this year? Do you have to do it in six years? Who knows, but you need to be putting some money aside to go towards that roof replacement. And then you may have fees, right? And this is more likely if you're in a syndication that the firm you work with, like Mara Poling or whoever it might happen to be, uh, will have some fees that they are uh, that they charge for running the syndicate um, and taking care of the asset. So, let's say we've got two hundred forty-five thousand in debt, fifty thousand in fees, and fifty thousand in capex reserves. That takes our five hundred seventy-two thousand in NOI and turns it into two hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars. Now, those six inputs: unit count, average rent, vacancy other income, operating expense, and then debt service and these other kind of uh, cash but non-operating expense items. Those six inputs allow me to come up with a cash number that I can now take that cash number, 227000 and I can look at that relative to our investment, which on this kind of an asset gives us about a 6% cash return. So nice little cash return we're getting there. And that $572,000 of net operating income, if we're in a six cap kind of market, means that our property is worth about $9.5 million. This now gives me a great foundation that I can start with. I can look to the future and say, well, what do I think is going to happen next year? What if my OPEX goes up 2%, but my rents could go up 5%? What would that look like, right? And I can start doing some what ifing. Um, what if I was able to uh, change out my debt? What if my debt was retired? What if my debt was refinanced? What if I put some supplemental debt on and took some cash out of the property? I can begin to model all of those items because I've got this basic element in place. So a simple underwrite can help you uh, better understand an investment you're getting ready to make. It can better help you understand the financials that you'll receive uh, from an investment that you're already in. If you are building your own portfolio, you probably have some level of an underwrite already. Uh, if you don't or you're thinking about it, even if you're thinking about it from the standpoint of, you know, it's going to be five years before I can do anything. I really want to just keep learning. Great. Build an underwrite right? Put this together. Go online and find some deals 
that obviously you're not going to be able to invest in a day, but go online and find some properties and download them and put an underwrite together using this kind of simple methodology. Then I would encourage you to do what I was encouraged to do. Gosh, this is going to be embarrassing. I forget how many years ago, decades ago, when I was first taught how to use a uh, personal computer and went to the spreadsheet class. It wasn't Excel at that point in time. Um, we built a simple little household budget. You know, your salary came in. I think there were like three expense items and then there was cash that was left over and savings and a few other little things. And that was just an exercise to teach us how to use Excel. But then they said, you know what, you should play with that. Well, I did. And I ended up building of course, an extremely elaborate system that I use for managing all of my personal investments, all built from this very simple little model that I started with. Our underwrite, the Mara Polling underwrite, has over 10,000 lines of code in it. It started from this very basic concept of a handful of revenue items and some expenses, and that gives us a way to identify the level of cash we believe we're going to generate as well as what kind of value we think we can generate and then be able to look at that over time and play a number of different scenarios with it to do stress testing and all the other things that we have done uh, for all the properties that are in our portfolio and that if you're investing or building your own portfolio you'll want to do um, as well so i i hope this has been helpful um, if you would like to build an underwrite and are still wondering how exactly to start or where you might gather some of the data to do this, I'm happy to work with you. Put some of your material together, shoot me an email, be happy to hop on a call with you and uh, we can uh, chat about it while you uh, build all that. Um, we're sincerely committed to education. We want you to learn more and more about multifamily. Uh, we very strongly advocate for everybody to have some multifamily real estate in their investment portfolio, however it is you go about doing that. And of course, if there's an opportunity for us to work with you and for you to be uh, a part of our uh, client family, we would love to, um, to do that. So uh, with that, I'm going to leave you for this week to your simple underwriting and ask that you join me again next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poland.